Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. We started our healing series with shamans and the spirit cure. In America, we shift the conversation from the intervention of the spirits to the power of the mind, specifically the mind's capacity to believe in a spiritual reality. Today, we're going to trace the history of the American mind cure and close with a little American healing ourselves. I'll be attempting to use my amateur skills to apply some spiritual healing to two of our alchemical actors who, fortunately for me, are not suffering from any serious complaints at the moment. Right, ladies? (laughs) I'd never said that. (laughs) There's an aching in my bones. There's only two of us, but Rob, there's three here. There's three of you here, but I'm only going to heal two of you. I I am not a machine, Shannon. Rock, paper, scissors. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our sacred order of alchemical actors with my PhD in spiritual healing. I'm glad you've repeated your name, Rob, because I forget each time until you say it. That's Shannon. We're keeping. No, we're keeping that. That's Shannon Landers. Yes. Whose whose name escapes me? The Instaquisitor, whose name I have to be reminded of every time I do podcast. It's Shannon. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's been a long day. I hear you, man. I'm with you. This is we're all working double shifts today. This is Olivia Literal uh, next to me here. I need some spiritual heal- healing right now, please. Uh, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. This is a lot. And Savannah Verrett. Hello. Our sister of the 84th I degree. I was waiting for my title. All right. Thank you. Oh, Olivia's the grandmaster, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Get on your A game, Rob. Yeah. I'm not Jeez. on. I'm not. I'm with Shannon. I'm on my B game. I'm getting. I'm, I got to work up to it. We got to wake up here. Got to wake up. Joke's on you. This is my A game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, this is all I have to offer. Joke is on all of us. Uh, so we are, If you, you might notice that we are using new equipment. Maybe the, our more attentive listeners will notice that the sound is slightly crisper. Crisp. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we're actually working with uh, two microphones for the first time. But believe it or not, for the last 46 episodes, we have recorded huddled around a single <laughs> microphone like a tiny little campfire. It sounds really bad when you say it like that. But we have. And yeah. and it, I think the sound quality has been unreasonably good compared to the, our circumstances. And now we don't have to sit so close together. Yes. Now we can look at you guys from across the table. So, like, Except for, look at those losers over there. They're not on the number one mic like Oh, now we we're are. competitive. But now we have to share mics, but really close with each other. Yeah, we're, we're getting so, closer together, but just, only with some people. We have yeah. our own cliques now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we're forming cliques. Number one yeah. mic one. one people and mic two people. <laughs> All right, let's do the pledge. We, the members of the the secret secret order order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, let's get to the three plugs, Olivia. Plug, plug. We got to give our patrons some love. Uh, Patrons are, uh, as you can tell by this crisp new equipment, our (laughs) patrons that our patrons have helped pay for. Uh, We have got lots of lovely folks. 
Well, not not quite enough, lovely folks, because we do have to still pay for some of this equipment. We, we could use more. We could use a few more patrons. But we have lovely folks joining us all the time, which is allowing us to make upgrades. When you join Patreon, we put that money back into the podcast uh, as often as we're able to. We've got lots of expenses, websites and equipment and research materials. Merch. S- merch. So we appreciate uh, the following people, as well as all of our other patrons. Mm-hmm. Alyssa G., who just joined us. Welcome, Yay. Alyssa. And Beverlocks. Welcome. Isn't that fun? And Catrash, or Catrash, or... Catrash? Or, or Catrash. Oh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, all the same person. And Alicia S. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So I also want to announce that we are uh, because our Patreon is is doing relatively well, but could be doing better. Could could, st- be. could still be doing better. We're on our way. We're getting there. We're launching our first Patreon exclusive series on the Devil's Music. <laughs> That's going to be this week. Uh, we'll be tracing the history of rock and roll's association with both Jesus and the Devil. I'll start this week with the story of how the Devil came to be identified with the guitar and American rockers. Then we're going to cross over to the UK for an episode on how Aleister Crowley influenced British rockers, <laughs> and we'll end in the bayous of Louisiana with an episode on voodoo in rock music. Cue Brianna's metal sound. She should really be here to just to just do that. Maybe we should uh, record it separately, and I could just oh. work it in. We don't even need her. You want to talk about uh, merch? Merch, merch, merch. We have merch. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't expect to do this. Um, yeah, if you go onto our website, you can actually see there's a link way to buy merch. We have it. Also, we've been starting to plug it on our Instagram. I don't know if you've noticed. Shannon and I have started to try to do this into hyperdrive. Um, we've had like, what, four or five? Yeah, we're selling now? some t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, they're starting to move. Yeah, so be the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. We have a, I have a lot of shirts. And we you get a, a personal note from the Grandmaster. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I wrote it with my hands. With your hands? Yep. That's neat. Yep. Close up the plugs. Plug, plug. So, we're going to begin our story of American healers with Charles Poyen. Uh, Our history of American healers has to properly begin with the import of mesmerism by Poyen in the first half of the 19th century. We discussed this a bit in our Edgar Allan Poe episode, but it's worth outlining it here just to sort of get us, get our feet grounded on on things before we head into, you know, Mary Baker Eddy and all sorts of weirdness. Uh, Wonderful weirdness. Franz Anton Mesmer first invented the technique of mesmerism in France, also known as France. Uh, mesmer- That's a pretentious way to say <laughs> France. You mean France? Uh, yeah, France? France? Yes. I, I guess I said it back. Mesmer would magnetize himself and then use his magnetized hands to put his patients in a trance state. <laughs> also known as trance. Trance. <laughs> He believed that he was manipulating a real magnetic fluid inside of his patients, but a team of learned individual, individuals, including France's France's favorite, American Benjamin Franklin. Oh, Jesus not. Christ. Someone Kill this bitch. Kill it. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said that, 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 that this whole magnetic fluid thing is total nonsense, and Franz Anton's theories were dismissed. That is, until the Marquis de Peisiger came along and said... 
It doesn't matter if there's no fluid. Even if it's all in the patient's head, the technique of mesmerism still works. People still go into a trance state. And this was a key to healing. Entranced patients could see inside their own bodies and diagnose their own illnesses. They could also undergo surgery while in a trance state, which was a pretty big deal during a time period when anesthesia was pretty much a shot of whiskey and something to bite down on. Um, I'll, I'll take that one, I think. Which instead. one? The what will you take? The whiskey and something to bite down on. In lieu of actual Crazy. anesthesia or no, hypnosis? Mesmerism. Oh. <laughs> Fun fact, apparently redheads need more anesthesia when they go into surgery because it doesn't work as well on us redheads, us ginger folk. You have a high tolerance. I guess so. (laughs) Ginger folk. The ginger folk. (laughs) Yes. Wandering the woods. The few the proud. Wandering the woods? Why? I, I just because you're ginger folk. Yeah, you're like oh. little elves that make cookies. <laughs> yeah, you have little houses under yeah. tree in tree stumps. Accurate. <laughs> Can't confirm. With little corgis by your side, <laughs> ride into battle. <laughs> <laughs> and refusing to sleep, refusing yeah. to go to sleep. They awake oh. through the night, no matter how much well, we try to anesthetize has them. Has to take care of those corgis. Our hordes are. Like, <laughs> Massive amounts of corgis. So coming around to Charles Boyan, who's a medical student in France, he suffered from poor health and quit medical school to travel to his family's plantations in the West Indies. There, he first encountered mesmerism and was enamored of the technique. Learning that mainland Americans were unfamiliar with it, he toured New England from 1836 to 1837. This would be sort of like finding out that, uh, I don't know, the Brazilians don't have Legos, and then you bring them down and start making lego castles and they'll be like wow specifically for the brazilians yeah if they did if they didn't have they probably uh, do have them but that's what poyan is like he's like oh americans don't have legos i'll bring them legos because they're so cool and everyone will love them and we'll make movies about it and it would be fun and i'll end up working at a lego store yes yeah, fun fact <laughs> savannah is a lego store Maybe I shouldn't say this. Is that allowed? I feel like there's a lot of Lego stores, right? Yeah. Oh, is it like a violation of some kind of code of conduct? No. Among the Lego people? They took an oath not to let anyone know. Because we're not saying anything bad about it. We all love the Danish. I say bad things on this podcast. So you shouldn't be associated with them because of the bird stuff. (laughs) I don't think we're on Lego's radar, guys. I think we're... Can you no? I think we we might be big in Denmark. How do we know? What's Denmark? It's where One Legos are from. What, That's where Legos Denmark? are made. Oh. Well, I didn't know. Sorry, that. I thought you meant like what is Denmark? It's well, a I small know, like, country is. where the Vikings I, come from and Hamlet. Right, right I know that, but I didn't know that Legos come there. I didn't mean to like completely derail this. We're gonna have to start over. No, we're good. We're gonna keep going. Everyone's gonna love this <laughs> no, conversation. Charles Poyen learned that mainland Americans were unfamiliar with mesmerism, and so he toured New England from 1836 to 1837. He was initially unsuccessful until a visit to patient Cynthia Gleason in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. She proved an apt subject for mesmerism and ended up touring with Poyen. For the demonstrations, Poyen would put Gleason under. There would be attempts to awaken her with sound, pinching, smelling salts, all without success. Then Poyen would lecture for 90 minutes and then wake her with a wave of the hand from a distance, demonstrating the power of his will. 
Later demonstrations included questions asked by the audience through Poyen to Gleason. The idea was that the somnambulist could only hear the mesmerist's voice while in trance, Gleason being the somnambulist, somnambulist being a fancy word for person in a trance. She revealed information. Trance. Right, sorry. Sorry. Somnambulist. (laughs) Oh, God. No, I can't. That's horrible. That hurt. That hurt everyone. (laughs) Let's go back to talking about Legos. Please? And uh, she revealed, what was I saying? She revealed information about the audience that she did not theoretically know in advance of the performance. She gave religious and moral advice, and she eventually even gave medical diagnoses. Weird. Shit. Would yeah. not take like, that advice. You wouldn't dangerous. take it. Well, but you don't, doctors no. suck at this time period. So it's like, it's a good, it's, they're going to maybe cut off your arm and stick a leech in your face. So <laughs> this might be a nice alternative, especially if you have red hair and the uh, whiskey is oh. not going to put you down. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just speaking as, as the, you know, we did the mesmerist and, and being the person that was put on, put under and it, it didn't seem like a very good, good time. That's also a stage That's adaptation, fit, yeah. and I don't know anything about mesmerism, so I told you to sit still for forever. <laughs> it's, it's Edgar Allan Poe who makes everything sound pretty unpleasant. Yeah. I still think it, just from your description, it sounds unpleasant. <laughs> that brings us to Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. Woo! Yeah, what a name. guy. Yeah, how about that, right? I feel like he should have a lord title. No, because he's American. I can't believe Americans don't get titles like that. Like Lord? Yeah. I I want something like that. Lord Savannah Verrett. Well, no, not Lord. Of the mechanical birds. (laughs) (laughs) We have to make up some. We already, that's what this podcast is. Like Uh, the sister (laughs) of the 84th degree, for example, or the Instaquisitor. There we go. All right. All right. I got it. Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, brother of the healing degree. Quimby saw Poyen perform in Belfast, Maine, where he was working as a clockmaker and started his own investigations into mesmeric trance with a particularly apt subject named Lucius Berkmar. So you, you got to get a subject. Step one, get a subject. Lucius is an interesting name, though, like, because it, I don't know, I feel like that name is pretty associated with the devil. I know it's not Lucifer, but I Because like it's Lucius- so close to Luscious? <laughs> not what I was going for. Doesn't but... it actually mean it's like light in light, or it's like a yeah, derivative? Yeah, because yeah, Lucifer refers to light. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Luminous. I like to think luscious. <laughs> <laughs> you think whatever you want, Shannon. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> I'm open to it. Quimby set up a healing practice by having the entranced Burkmar diagnose and recommend treatments to his patients. So he would put the guy in trance, he would bring a sick person in, and they'd be like, okay, entranced man. What should we do with this sick person? <laughs> and then Burkmar would be like, cough syrup. Quimby was having incredible success at this because a lot of people do need cough syrup. It was really not cough syrup. I'm making that it's part like up. A panacea or something. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. So um, incredible success. But he he doubted that the trance state was really allowing Burkmar to diagnose his patients. He decided that what Burkmar was really doing was telling his patients what they already believed was the cause of their illness. Ooh, flip the script. So Burkmar, he's like, there's no way he actually knows what's wrong with these people. They just believe that he knows, and then they believe the diagnosis that he offers them. So that means that any cure he offers, they believe in, and what's really curing them is their belief. This should sound a lot like themes of things we've been exploring for the last several episodes. 
So, since his diagnosis, Berkmar's diagnosis matched the patient's preconception, they came to believe in him and so invested trust and belief in the herbal remedies he prescribed for their ailment. It was all herbal realm, herbal cough syrup. He experimented a bit with this, Quimby that is, by substituting different, less expensive remedies for the ones Berkmar suggested and observed that his patients recovered either way. Ooh. Yeah, Quimby was a crafty one. So if Berkmar would be like, you need the eye of the newt, and newts are not cheap, he would substitute the eye of the skink. <laughs> That's just being a witch. <laughs> uh, hot take. You use what you got. <laughs> also, being a cook, I find that when I make dinner, <laughs> They're the exact I'm same. often doing this, yes. substituting different eyes for You're dinner. You're a kitchen witch. I, oh. Yeah. I, I that means a lot coming from you guys we have a podcast that we need to like record <laughs> sorry we'll get a room uh, <laughs> where were we Berkmar uh, okay he suggested the expensive stuff Quimby's giving us the cheap stuff so Quimby was not the first mesmerist to guess that his patient's beliefs had something to do with the effectiveness of their cures however he was the first to come up with the far more radical idea that all disease was a product of belief. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you were sick, said Quimby, it was often beca- because you believed that you were sick. That's a hot take. <laughs> All sickness is in the mind or belief. To cure the disease is to correct the error, destroy the cause, and the effect will cease. This doesn't mean that Quimby believed illness was purely mental, although it might seem that way. So I see you guys are getting a little upset. (laughs) He argued that belief was a kind of floodgate, controlling the flow of a vital force or fluid into the nervous system. Essentially, he argued for a specific mechanical link between mind and body. So it's more like, if you think you have a thing, it opens up this neurological gate that lets all the bad stuff get into your parts. I could buy that with like a cold, but like there's other illnesses out there that I'm like, ah, I don't know I have that until I have it. So you really are having a physical response. It's just the physical response was precipitated by your mental response or belief. Anyway, the cure for Quimby was right thinking and periodic silence to allow for the plopper, proper flow. You can't take the silence. As a podcaster, Olivia can't get on board. No. Uh, to allow for the proper flow of dynamic fluids through the body. And that brings us to Mary Baker Eddy. So sh- you thought that was a little out there. We're about to take a step further. Confessors across the occult podcastosphere. One more time podcastosphere real proud of yourself for that one yeah the occult one more time the occult podcastosphere uh they keep asking us don't they keep asking us this olivia when they say oh when will you bring back that most wonderful of reference books the treasure trove of alternative religious americana the biographical dictionary of american cult and sect leaders by j gordon milton Aww. right shannon on instagram that's all people want yes it's the holy book. It's our holy book. Yeah, it's our. Point. It's the best of books. Yeah. So the answer is now. Woo! <laughs> I'm really glad you didn't just bring that up to be like. <laughs> We're not doing no. it. We're not going to do it. You have to wait. I'm just teasing you. 
Yes, it's time for the third installment. Can you believe it's only the third? Aww. Of a moment with the biographical dictionary of American cult and sect leaders by J. Gordon Melton. <laughs> a moment with the biographical dictionary of American occult and sect leaders. This is a long title. Yeah, it is. It's a I, long I, didn't, I didn't want to. Okay. Yeah. You didn't get to Jay Gordon. Jay Gordon Jay. Melton. <laughs> Mel Melton. Okay, so arguably. <laughs> we just lost like three subscribers. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably, but it was worth it. Thank you. Arguably, the most famous of America's healers was the founder of the Church of Christ Scientist, better known as the Christian Scientist, Mary Baker Eddy. Eddie had an unhappy early adult life, marked by long periods of illness. Her first husband, George Glover, died young, and the fiancé that followed him died before they were married. That's two dead husbands now. A decade of undiagnosable illness followed, during which her second husband, Asa Gilbert Eddie, because remember the fiancé didn't make it, so she got married. It was the third man she married, was only her second husband. He was frequently away. He joined the Union Army and was captured during the Civil War. Eddie, distraught and unwell, entered a water cure sanatorium where she met Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, man of mental cures. Quimby's mental healing provided partial relief, but Eddie was never completely cured. And although she studied with him for two years, she questioned his interpretation of scripture. Then on the 1st of February, 1866, two weeks after Quimby's death, she slipped and fell on some icy pavement and was injured. Three days later, the key to self-healing suddenly dawned on her while reading the Bible, and she recovered her health instantly, amazing her doctors. Over the next three decades, she would found the Christian Science Association, the Church of Christ Scientist, and the Journal of Christian Science. Eddie is accused of plagiarizing Quimby, Quimby never published anything during his lifetime, and the first manuscript of his ideas wasn't released until the 1920s. And so for a long time, it was difficult to tell exactly what Eddie borrowed and what she adapted. Now we can see what Eddie developed and how it was inspired by Quimby, because we have some of Quimby's work. It's been released. So what she did represented a fairly radical innovation on his concept of healing. So... That closes out our segment from J. Gordon Melton. Thank you, sir. But let's get on to the basics of Christian science and see how they work. Oh. Now, I, I, I know y'all are going to be harsh about the Christian scientists. I really <laughs> am very, I'm very curious because those are contradictory words. Christian and science? Yep. You'll find out. Uh, so I, I just want to say I have been to the First Church of Christ Scientist in Boston. They are lovely people. It is a beautiful church. You should all go. And now I will let you all tear them apart. <laughs> First, there is no physical universe, says Mary Baker Eddy, and all physical matter is an illusion. Oh, okay. Right. Got it. If that's true says Eddie. So she's making sort of a philosophical case here, right? Point by point. If we accept that there's no physical universe, then disease, which is in the physical universe, is an illusion that can be cured when the patient realizes that matter is an illusion, like Eddie did after her fall on the icy pavement. That's like painful to me to hear oh, no. a it's, little bit. It feels like one of those, like, it's that simple. Exactly. <laughs> For Eddie... 
The Bible is essentially a means to achieve this revelation. It is the key to a right understanding of the illusory nature of physical reality. And so, Christian science healers read passages of the Bible to the sick and pray with them to help remove the illusion from their understanding. This is meant to bring about their cure. But see, this is like some Scientology shit, where... (laughs) Scientology plagiarized Mary Baker Eddy. Okay, because like with, you know, you hear with like the Scientologists, like where cases where like with John Travolta's uh, son... How they basically just let him die because they were like, you know, we don't need healers to come in. That's not the problem. And like that kind of like, I don't know. That's what it sounds like a lot like to me. Uh, Yeah. The Christian scientists, this started all the way back in the 1880s and 1890s. They got into a lot of trouble for letting their children die without allowing them to seek actual medical treatment. So, uh, for both Quimby and Eddie, we have to remember how rough 19th century medicine really was, though. In 1880, 38% of all children born died before their fifth birthday. 38%. That's crazy. So, while we're being rough to Mary Baker Eddie, like, your neighborhood doctor was as deadly as just reading the Bible. (laughs) Give or take. I guess that's valid. The current child mortality rate for comparison is 4%. So it was 34% higher in 1880. The study and understanding of infection was in its infancy. During the American Civil War, doctors would amputate limbs but had no concept of disinfecting them. Flies were often accidentally responsible for cleaning wounds to keep soldiers in field hospitals alive because they would lay maggots in the wound and they would, yeah, okay. Antiseptics weren't introduced to surgery until 1867 when Joseph Lister, inspired by Louis Pasteur's germ theory, argued for the use of carbolic acid to make sure infectious microbes were killed. Given the likelihood that your doctor would kill you if you went to him with a serious complaint, many people figured it was just as safe to avoid the surgeon's knife altogether and try Quimby's mind cure or Eddie's Bible cure. Got me? Yes. (laughs) So, today we're like, no, this is not a great idea. But back then, it could have been worse. Also, there wasn't any system of medical licensure. Fun fact. Doctors were trained, but there was not any official way to differentiate between training with Harvard and training with Mary Baker Eddy. So in the 1880s, the rapid propagation of Christian science healers actually led to many of the first medical licensing laws in the country, as doctors rose up against the Christian scientists, especially in the courts. So basically, a Christian science healer would just like put a little shingle outside of their house that said, Healer. And there would be no way to stop them. Cure your... What ails you? Come on by. Broke your leg? We've got your cure. FDA who? So we... The medical... Basically, the medical community was like, we have never developed any way of figuring out the difference between us and not us. (laughs) So we need to create these licenses and and straighten this all out. They're stealing all the injured people from us. (laughs) Yeah, right. As we, we really wanted to cut their limbs off. Uh, as we discussed in our shamanism episode, doctors have earned more trust from Westerners in the last century, but there remains a place for the kind of healing advocated by Quimby and Eddie, albeit highly edited in our new context. In America, we tend to identify spiritual healing most closely with the laying on of hands ritual. This takes many forms. The most sensational belongs to the charismatic Protestants and Catholics. The major difference between Protestant and Catholic charismatic healing is that the Catholics tend to diagnose their patients according to demonology, 
couple episodes back and address their healing touch accordingly to specific demons. Protestants apply the Holy Spirit without reference to any categorizing system with the more sensational televangelists literally bowling their patients over with their healing touch. And we talk about this a bit in the exorcism episode just recently. On the other end of the spectrum is therapeutic touch, which is a purely secular variant developed in part by the nursing professor Dolores Krieger. So we're going to step away from Christian science now and talk about a purely secular laying on of healing hands uh, healing process. Krieger's therapeutic touch did not require adherence to any belief system, and Krieger held that the healers themselves did nothing but support the patient's ability to self-heal until the patient was able to take over the process themselves. Therapeutic touch is a form of what we call energy healing. The more popular variant among New Age and metaphysical believers is probably the Japanese-inspired Reiki healing method. The idea is that the healer's energy in some way influences the energy of the patient. Olivia, I believe before we got started today, uh, you said you had had an experience oh, with Reiki oh, healers. Is I that is that true? Yeah, I I did it once um, because my my mom was part of this group where she was learning, and there was like six people. And we were in a room of a massage like therapy place, which made me feel safer about it. Um, but so. I like laid on this table and they kind of like rotated around me and they worked on different parts, but I had a bad experience with it. So I was a little bit reluctant to what, what, what happened? I felt like I was, uh, kind of being like electrocuted from my head a little bit low key, but, um, yeah, like, uh, someone, they like switched and someone got to my head and it just suddenly felt like, like, yeah, like, there was, like, an electric current, like, going through my head, and I just, like, dipped after that. <laughs> so, like, there's six people with their hands on you, and, and you just roll off the table onto the floor well, and crawl out? They didn't have their hands on me. Like, they weren't touching me. Oh, like, they, they hover above you? Yeah. Still, how did you get out from under them? Uh, Well, as soon as my brain felt like it was being fried, I, like literally like jumped and like sat up. oh like i had like a like a reaction did they all like, like blow back against the wall no like everyone like because i like let out like a ah like a like a noise and like they all like they all jumped yeah and of course my mom is like are you okay like did i break my child through, through oh, she wasn't healing? like you're embarrassing me in front of no. the ricky <laughs> olivia my group please like <laughs> No, so I I grabbed my boyfriend who was like waiting in the next room to go next, and I was like, "We're we're out of here, or you can stay, but I'm." Gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, those those ladies will electrocute you. Yeah, it was like mo- it was like one man, but mostly women. All right, that's how it always is, old, isn't it? Old women. That's sort of what's happening right now. Young women and one man. No, they were they were they were old. So that's not a podcast. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so therapeutic touch. <laughs> Everybody knows you need at least one slightly older man and a bunch of younger women to form a podcast. Yeah, I appreciate this slightly. Yeah, you know. Therapeutic touch and Reiki. I guess that's true of you guys. My current students are younger than y'all. Yep. You're still no. young to me, though. I was about to say, are we old now? Get, it's at this point, <laughs> relatively. I mean, oh, no. I'm about to be 25. Um, You're old. Months, You're yeah. way old. Yeah. I'm almost dead. <laughs> 
but that's neither here nor there. Therapeutic touch and Reiki. Falling outside of clearly established supernatural belief systems come in for some special vitriol from the scientific community. So they really hate these because there's no faith healing. There's no faith behind it to sort of bolster it. It's just saying that they have magical powers, period. To a certain extent, like from a scientific standpoint. So there's a nine-year-old girl named Emily Rosa who designed an experiment to disprove therapeutic touch. And this is a true story. The Journal of American of the American Medical Association, which is no fan of alternative techniques, made the, in my opinion, very catty move to publish this nine-year-old study to embarrass the therapeutic <laughs> touch people. So she stood on one side of a cardboard screen while therapeutic touch healers stood on the other with both hands you know, pushed through the cardboard screen. And little Emily placed her hand near one of the healer's hands and they attempted to feel her aura or biofield and report which hand she was near. The results pretty much matched chance rather than demonstrating any particular skill on the part of the healers. They couldn't guess where her hand was using their biofield. So the healer's ability or inability to feel a biofield doesn't actually disprove the healing power of therapeutic touch though. Even the existence of a biofield isn't really necessary for therapeutic touch to work. But studies tend to be polarized according to the sponsor. Organizations who advocate holistic healing have studies that show that therapeutic touch is effective. And organizations that oppose it have their studies showing it doesn't work. So it's pretty much a wash. Faith-based healing is a different animal, though. It doesn't entirely get a pass from the scientific community, but faith almost by definition is where science stops. Therapeutic touch claims an empirical basis, rooted in a biofield, which you need not believe in to feel, and this is all highly suspect, because it claims this empiricism, do you see? It's an objective thing. Belief has played a major role in all of the healing we've discussed in this series, and so a practice that claims to be able to heal regardless of, a belief, of belief will inevitably run into problems. You need to believe, you need to be part of a belief system for faith healing to work. But therapeutic touch is not making that claim, leads to trouble. Mm. Today, I want to focus on a variant of faith-based healing to sort of close us up and get us into our demonstration of spiritual healing. Uh, It's based out of the spiritualist tradition. Uh, It's a tradition I've spent a considerable amount of time studying and was part of my dissertation work. So, spiritualist, faith-based, laying-on-of-hands healing is performed by psychic mediums under the auspices of the spiritualist church and has a history going back to the 1850s when mediums diagnosed and healed the sick, much like Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, except that they invoked God and the spirits of the dead to assist in their work, which is a major break with Quimby's ideas. Mary Baker Eddy actually studied with the spiritualists as well before she developed her own practice. So you can go to a spiritualist healer or you can go to a spiritualist center or church to receive this kind of healing. What's interesting about healing in the context of psychic mediums is the way it departs from the attitude of criticism that you would generally bring to a medium. When you visit a psychic medium, you should be skeptical. Not so skeptical that you refuse to accept what they have to share, but skeptical enough to determine whether they're accessing otherworldly knowledge or just cold reading you. You want your medium to provide you with detailed information that they couldn't have any other way, and it takes a critical mindset to make that determination. Let's hear from a hypothetical medium's customer and what that that client should sound like. She said my grandmother was dead. That probably pertains to a lot of people, but she even knew her first name. Maybe she found that on the internet, except that I only used my first name when I made the appointment. So that's pretty persuasive. 
And how would she know that my dog got loose yesterday? And that I had to dive into a water hazard at the neighborhood mini golf to get her? I haven't even posted my wet dog water hazard selfie on Instagram yet. I just can't find the right filter for all the algae. This is more or less the internal monologue of what we'll call a message client, but it's not how you're meant to be thinking when you're going for spiritual healing. A Sunday service at a spiritualist center starts with the healing service, and the healing service starts with a group prayer. I ask the great unseen healing force to remove all obstructions from my mind and body and to restore me to perfect health. I ask this in all sincerity and honesty, and I will do my part. I ask the great unseen healing force to help both present and absent ones who are in need of help and to restore them to perfect health. I put my trust in the love and the power of God. There's a few phrases in here that separate the healing client from the message client. For the idea that I will do my part, you don't have to do anything to receive a message. You sit passively and the message comes to you. When you're in a large group, this is literally the truth. If the message is really good, you don't even have to respond with a yes or no. You literally just listen. But for healing, you've got to do your part, says the prayer, specifically by putting your trust in the love and power of God. Our theme emerges yet again in spiritualist faith healing. Faith or belief, as we've been calling it, is the key ingredient for spiritual healing to work. It only works if you believe. We saw this with the shamans and Jesus and the exorcists. But belief doesn't necessarily mean that the healing in this context will always work. Spiritualist healers have to be certified, which is a process of collecting affidavits from clients who believe they have been healed through the laying on of hands ritual. So there is an objective component to that, Mm. or intersubjective, you see? These affidavits are judged by a committee who determines whether or not the healing qualifies for certification. Where is this committee? Uh, it's the National Spiritualist Association is the church that I worked with, uh, and they're based in Lilydale. Yeah. Where, where is that? Oh, it's in New York. It's oh, a community okay. of spiritualist mediums. They have a base in Lilydale, and, and there's a, a school as well in, in the Midwest. Uh, but so there's different certifying bodies. But you need a certification to practice as a healer. The same to practice as a medium in the church. You have to have some sort of uh, evidence uh, from of people saying that you've done this properly and that, that it's worked for you not to like derail us but like does that mean people like the long island medium no that kind of stuff no oh, no, okay. no no celebrity mediums do not go through this process okay. these are i would differentiate these people by calling them religious mediums they belong to a church organization oh, okay. and they do not the, the people that we see on tv are just doing their own thing mm. so the healers are also um mediums Often, but not, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to do some healing today. I am not a medium by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. Well, I guess I meant like in the in the church, like the ones that you were... I would say almost all mediums are healers, but you could be a healer and not be a medium. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. Okay. So I know, like, is it strictly physical health that they're healing people or could it help for like mental health as well? Yes, all of the above. There awesome. are people, when I've <laughs> sat for healing, I have not had uh, any physical complaints. Um, so, But people will sit to feel the touch of spirit. So it could just be a kind of spiritual healing. It makes you feel better. It relieves anxiety and stress, theoretically. Nice. Yeah, it has many effects. So what does it feel like to be healed? My soon-to-be healing subjects would like to know. In my research, people talked to me about particular sensations. They could feel a heat radiating off of the healer's hands. 
This heat could be accompanied by a tangling feeling or warmth gradually intensifying. Healing may come like with a visual sensation of bursts of color or a sudden feeling of relief or relaxation. These sensations in the healing chair may be accompanied by a change in the client's physical condition right then and there, or it could happen over time with pain or discomfort dissipating gradually after the healing has taken place. All right, so we're going to get started with our healing demonstration now. Savannah is going to sit in the healing chair. Olivia is going to sit in the healing chair. And I am going to do my best to bring that healing touch of spirit to each of them. You ladies ready? Uh, As ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) This is a one at a time affair, so uh, be patient. Take some deep breaths. Open yourselves up. Feel that touch of spirit here and now. So I'm just going to start up at your head. And I'll concentrate for a while, try to get some energy going, and then I'll work my way around. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about what, what we just did. So, physically, what I was doing in space was I was standing, I stood behind Savannah first, and then I stood behind Olivia, and my hands did not make actual contact with them until the very end. So, my hands hovered uh, first around their heads, then I moved down to their chests and stomachs, uh, and then I, I sort of did a pass that was between their back and their legs. I try to keep my hands so that they're facing each other always. So I'm creating a kind of pocket of energy in my mind. That's what I imagine myself doing. Uh, and I, as I'm doing this, my goal is to sort of just become an open channel for what I sort of understand to be like this sort of heavenly light, divine energy that's coming down through me into the person that I'm performing the healing with. And then at the end of the healing, I will place my hands on, uh, I put my hands on Savannah's shoulders and Olivia's shoulders that sort of were almost done. And then uh, I'll take the person's hand and uh, I'll say some sort of words of, of concluding uh, sort of whatever comes to me from the experience I've just had, uh, leaving the healing with that person. So this is actually an important part of the process. You don't want to take anything away from the person. So you really have to leave everything that you've done with them. So you don't want to take the good stuff away with you. You also don't want to take their shit away with you. So you say some parting words, sort of parting prayer, both to leave that energy with the person that you've worked to sort of channel into them and that you sort of work together to create and to leave their stuff with them. So you're not going home with other people's problems. Um, more physical than mental is really the way we think about it. But still, no problems need go home with the healer. Like closing the circle. Yeah, yeah, it's a completion of the ritual. You open it with the, the opening pass, and then you close it with the prayer at the end. Which for me, you know, it's varying degrees of prayer. It's just some closing words. Uh, so what did, when you were watching me heal the other, what were you seeing? Well, it was really interesting for me because I had no idea what you were going to do. So, and then when you like did it on me first, I was like in my head, I have, I don't know what he's saying or not saying, I have no idea what he's doing right now. So it was really interesting to have it done to me and then to watch 
you and Olivia. And I was like, oh, okay. That's because it was also weird because there were definitely things that you did, like the hand over the stomach part. Like I didn't even notice that when you were doing it with me. So you didn't realize the passes I was making while your eyes were closed. Yeah, my eyes were closed. But I don't know. It was interesting because I felt like I had an idea of where you were, but I really didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that way when I receive healing as well. You don't know exactly where the healer's at. You you can sort of guess at it, but sort of open. Well, I kind of watched it first, so I kind of had an idea of... You knew where I was going to go? Generally. I couldn't really see exactly, like what you were doing some of the time to Savannah. And I kind of like tried not to pay attention all the time, honestly, because I was like, I don't know. I didn't want to anticipate it. Yeah. We created mood lighting. We don't got to tell our listeners. We, oh, yeah. <laughs> put on we the, had the ghost light on. Put the ghost light on on the theater, which is just this one light bulb that we use to keep you from falling over yourself when you come onto the stage at night. Uh, so we took out the lights, just put the ghost light on, put on some uh, Thomas Tallis to get us to get it me, was some get us in the mood. music. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Some Ray Fawn Williams. Uh, okay, so go ahead. But I did notice, at least I think I noticed when Savannah. I think I noticed when you kind of were catching yourself a little bit, like not like taking yourself out of it mm. because one, I could see your eyeballs moving. Yeah. Um, which was like, I don't know. I could tell like, it's like when they're saying like with dreams, like you can tell what people are doing. Like it was like that. Like I could tell. And then, but I could tell also when your body would like relax more. Yeah. Well, there was definitely a point where Rob did something and it completely, I just like was out of it and then my eyes would not stop moving and I was like chill out chill out relax I think it was when you Mm. asked for my hands at the end yeah because I wasn't expecting you to talk at all so when you said that it really (laughs) caught me off guard because I and then I had to process I was like what did he say I was like oh hands and I was like okay (laughs) and I opened them for the first time I like that whole process and that's when I think my eyes just was like okay calm down like get back into it I don't know what's happening but get back into it (laughs) but I could like see your like feet relax at one point and like your hands but then I saw them kind of like move again when you would like and yeah which was so weird because like I would manually be like okay let's relax and then it would like be fine and then all of a sudden I would find myself back into the position of my hands crossed my feet crossed and I'm like wait how did that happen? I don't even know how that happened. I get, I'm just an anxious person. So I was like, and I had no idea what was happening. So I think I was just kind of like, ah, waiting for something. But. So you were being relieved of your anxiety, but you kept coming back to it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I gotta remind, I, I can't say this enough. I am not an expert at spiritual healing by any stretch of the imagination. There are people who are, who are very gifted at this. I do not consider myself to be one of them, but I do think I have a minor talent in it. Uh, insofar as I, I kind of think everybody does who's able to approach it with an open mind. The Some of the spiritual healers I've worked with have described healing as just love. They said, all this is love. I, I really do like to think in the best of all worlds, it's a kind of divine love that gets me out of the way. So it's not about me or how good I am in it or whether I'm doing it right. If I'm asking those questions then I'm in the wrong mindset, I need to just be thinking in terms of giving to the person that I'm with and then I'm in the right mindset. But any, I, I believe pretty strongly that if I can do it, anyone can do it. So if you're having any response at all to the experience, it's because something is probably happening. Um, I don't know that I, it would trust me to like 
fix your broken arm or anything, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> I can I can facilitate that touch of spirit as the spiritualists call it. And that's uh that's about it. It's as far as my gift goes these days. I am busy looking after a one year old after all and running a podcast, so how much time do I have? Plus being a professor on top of that I too. Know. I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't get a PhD in that, so I kind of did though. I wrote a whole chapter oh, on spiritual true. healing. Oh, <laughs> oh well. On that subject. Well in theory, not not practice. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, what your experience was like as you were being healed. I felt movement. Like you weren't touching me at all, and I know you weren't, but I felt things touching me. I don't know. And I don't know. Like at one point, I knew that you were still over here, but I felt something behind my back move to the other side of me, to my left side, but while you were over here on my right. Oh. Well, that's interesting. I've never heard that before from folks. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's psychosomatic or like, but I felt a movement behind me that came to my left side. Even if it's psychosomatic, it's an interesting response. I mean, what I'm practicing is a form of spiritualist healing. So technically, there are spirit healers involved in this, who are non-physical and beyond my physical body. So, I think if a medium were here, they would say that there's maybe some spirit healers working through me who are working with you um if that's the case i'm super lucky because <laughs> again i'm way amateur at this but uh cool um yeah it felt almost like someone was touching me because it was so warm but that's a lot like ray ray k ray k is that yeah, how you say i it? can't pretend to know much about reiki i i am that's familiar the only with thing it. i've had but i also felt the warmth as well like wherever yeah. you were, I could tell because it was really warm there. It was like kind of hard to breathe. I don't know if you got that. I did at okay. one point. I couldn't <laughs> breathe. Yeah, it was really hard to breathe. I Especially thought it was just when you were touching, dumb. like your hands were on me. Like, I don't know why, but it was really hard to like, I don't know. It was like harder to breathe. Not yeah. in like a bad, like panicky way. No, it yeah. just felt like, not like heavier in a bad way. That's but a, just like there was like a weight. That's where I, I felt know. it too. Yeah. Like being harder to breathe. That but, sounds troubling. But <laughs> no, but it wasn't like unpleasant necessarily. I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it. It wasn't it wasn't unpleasant. It was just I don't know, it was just harder to breathe kind. It was just like it took more work to breathe. Maybe it was because we thought about our breathing more, maybe? Because I know I was oh, like... Oh, like you were more aware of it. I guess. It was, yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, well, there was definitely a point where I was like, okay, breathe. Like, start breathing at least. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, because it got easy to like... Yeah, which I guess the point is that we're supposed to keep like breathing. Y yes, ideally <laughs> you don't pass out during spiritual healing. Right, but it was kind of like hard to like remember to breathe, <laughs> if that makes sense. No. American faith healing emphasizes the individual's responsibility to believe in order to achieve healing. This makes us worry. As one of my department's faculty mentors did back when I was in graduate school, and they were reading the chapters of my dissertation, he said that it places the blame on the patient or client when healing fails. If you're sick, or the disease that you have isn't cured, it's because you didn't believe hard enough. 
It's a way of victim blaming, really. Christian science in particular gives this impression, and in its infancy, the Christian scientists spent a lot of time in court when they denied children's medical interventions. Over the last six episodes, we've charted a clear and powerful relationship between belief and spiritual healing. But there's this problem lingering of blaming the sick for their disease, and I think we've got to address that here and now. My solution is to think of the body and the mind and the spirit as a kind of Venn diagram, those three interlapping, uh, overlapping circles. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, So this allows for mind and spirit to influence the body's health, but it also leaves a place where the body and the mind and the spirit are completely untouched by the other two. In this place where the body is untouched by mind and spirit fall the diseases and the just general running down of the physical body that no amount of belief can influence. A disease can be mostly physical, limiting the power of the mind or the spirit to influence its progress. Faith healing works, drawing on the patient's belief, and belief almost always improves health outcomes. However, belief cannot keep us from death. At its best, it can prepare us for death and ease our transition. There are times when the spirit can pull us back to life and times when the spirit is ready to leave. And that, if we are to take something truly meaningful from this, is the lesson of spiritual healing. We're going to conclude with one more episode on our subject, jumping over to Chinese medicine to try and understand how it works and why it is a kind of spiritual healing practice. And then we'll be moving on. Uh, So that's it for today. Let's get to our order of confessors. Everyone's got their business for today. Is that right? Business, business, business. Shannon, what's going on on the Facebook? I heard we got something fun over the uh, Facebook waves. Yes. Wait. I should grab my phone, so I should give him a shout-out. Oh, yeah, we'll let you do that while uh, while I, I go over our people who have written us some lovely reviews. We've got to BCS42, said the reenactments are probably one of their f- top three favorite things about the podcast. Oh, my gosh, that's I wonder awesome. what the other two are. I don't care. I love that oh, they yeah. like the reenactments, <laughs> and we're very grateful for BCS42. Also, pink hearts yeah. for you, Olivia. Pink hearts for Not you. Black BCS four two. I do enjoy black hearts. Yes, mm-hmm. but it's right. nice to get a pink heart every once in a while. Yeah, I'll take yeah. a pink heart. Our friend Danielle dropped us five stars. Well, we you know on Danielle, she's a magic and mediums. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome! Thank thanks, thanks for for dropping us. Then I dropped her some stars. There Did you? Oh, drop all the stars. Drop, drop, drop. On Castbox, Comics and Ceremony said we're hilarious and should keep it up. Oh, thank you. We're gonna feed our egos. We're We're gonna go ahead and we're here. We are keeping it up (laughs) just for you, Comics and Ceremony. All right, uh, you back over there, Landers? I have returned. All right, tell us all about it. What happened? Well, Conrad Sinclair sent a picture of a corgi wearing a hat. But it's a very specific hat, and he says it's Alistair Growley. Or let's let's have a look. Oh, well, I'll show you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know the people at home. They people, can probably. Um, can we put this on Instagram? Is that yeah, all right? Yeah, I'll post it on Instagram. That is the Alistair Crowley hat right there from one of the famous photographs of him. Crowley. Because a Crowley hat on the corgi. It, 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 um, it's a Crowley it says hat. Alistair hat on the on the corgi. Crowley, because he's a corgi. <laughs> That's so Growly. cute. Gr- Grow. Mm. <laughs> it's weird how growly and this growly. Is not, no, 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 no. This is not a historical document. I beg to differ. I think Crowley what himself else do you created need, this Robbie? corgi in the yes. hat. 
it honestly looks a little like Napoleon-esque. I know That's the true. facts are in the corgi picture, Rob. Fair enough. That's true. All right. Uh, any other things to add? For Speaking our order? Oh. of uh, of facts, yes, um, facts. I would just like to mention that yes. um, one of our friends and Patreon members, uh, Luke Kinneman, uh he called me the other day to let me know that you know what our patrons call you on the phone. I think you're taking this too far. We know Luke personally. I, yeah, we yeah. Died with him. I know. Yeah, he, he saved I've my life. Seen... Here's to you, near death experience. Um, <laughs> so, what was I saying? Oh, I don't know. So, um, he responded to Emery's uh, poem that was sent to us. Uh-huh. Well, Crowley's poem that right. was sent Crowley's to us poem. by Emery. It rhymes with and, holy. Um, there's such a thing called a slant rhyme. Are Are you aware, Rob? Or in your PhD is did you make time for slant rhymes? I'm not a big slant rhyme person. Well, apparently, uh, a slant rhyme, it, it, you can still rhyme without it necessarily being exactly like... Yeah, we, we call it a cheap rhyme for those cheap poets who don't know how to do a real rhyme. Wow, Rob. I feel way more intense when we argue about Crowley because we're in the same mic so close <laughs> to each other's faces. <laughs> That it feels like we're like slowly challenging, like challenging each other to slant rhyme, more like a can't yeah. rhyme. <laughs> oh, yeah. Savannah's on my team. Savannah's on my team. Damn, that's not even fair. <laughs> nice. Let's get the heck out of this Ooh. episode. Oh, Shannon has more. Nose Sorry, on mic. Nose quick. on mic. This is like my story, but like it's not like. Is it weird to just like tell my story? Like it's about like something that happened at work and i think it's like really crazy it'd be weird in the order of confessors you can do it on the way out oh this wasn't the way out no we're order of confessors you have to do it on the way okay, out okay. all right olivia bring us home i hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again we had hunter Sheeler doing the voice of uh, phineas Parkhurst Quimby today. We had Dan Rosendale doing our medium customer. Uh, around the circle uh, is uh, Olivia Litterall, Grandmaster. Hello, yes. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> we had uh, Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th degree. Thank you for listening. And uh, Shannon Landers. Yes, uh, Insta Quizzer. Ginger folk. Ginger uh, folk. Representative. Representative of the ginger folk. <laughs> like the Lollipop Guild. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. My name is Rob Thompson, and I am your supreme hierophant. Uh, and uh, that's it. That's it. We're getting Ooh, on. Oh, well, I have a story. It's fun. You know, I think it's fun. But you know, if you don't want to hear it, you can just stop listening. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're here, so please. But you you guys are still here. Shannon fans will love this. Also, ginger folk. Oh, this one's for the ginger folk. I don't know if it is. What what do you got? I think it's for all the folks. All the folk. Oh, sorry. All well, then folks. don't tune out. It's very inclusive. Now at this point, they're going to be like... Yeah. That are you like, better you get lost to me. it because you're going to lose us. <laughs> the suspense okay. is killing us. No, no. This is like nothing to do with the podcast, but I was at work and like... Well, it I've has been... to do with the podcast now. Well, okay. Yes, it's all in the podcast. <laughs> Anyways, I was at work and, you know, I've been working at this pizza place for about three years now. And I just found out, like, I don't know, today, that apparently, like, eight years ago, like, a customer was sitting at our table, and a snake fell through the ceiling onto the table, basically on his lap, while he was eating his pizza. 
like from the ceiling of our restaurant fell a snake. That was a gift from Satan himself. No, and I was Thank furious because I went around telling everybody, it's like, how did I not know this? And like all my coworkers are like, yeah, like was you it didn't like, know that story. Like a busboy in the back got high and was like, hey man. No, a it's snake just like fell out of the ceiling like, like <laughs> eight years ago or something. No, I went around or and was, like how, where's the evidence? Where is the I talked to like my manager who was there when it happened. The official pizza place historian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my my manager the she annals, was there. The annals of Kent Island pizza. And like there's multiple people who are like actually there who've like been working here for a while. They're like, Yeah, it happened and, like the guy was like really spooked and he jumped out well, of his yeah. chair. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> I, but my favorite part is I turned to my manager. I was like, wow, I mean, I guess, like, did he get his, like, food for free or something? She's like, huh, no. What? <laughs> he paid no. full price? Full price. <laughs> did he take the snake? <laughs> no, they, threw the, they took the snake and threw it into the pond. In the oh. pond? Was it not poisonous? <laughs> kind of nice. I don't know. I That's would what... expect a refund if a pizza fell out of the ceiling while I was eating my pizza. <laughs> Like a person like that poor person's like no i'm jealous i wish that happened to me because you imagine telling people they were out at a lovely evening and the snake just like fell up i i, I would like that to happen to me one day you would yeah i mean I how cool well maybe it's like the secret now that you've put that out there it'll happen okay yes. oh. <laughs> all right now that everyone's had a heart attack thank you for listening we'll catch you next time for chinese medicine here on occult confessions Bye. Bye. Beware of snakes on ceilings.